And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany, at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where, on entering, you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? You shall say this, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began, Excuse me, began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise Father, grant us here and now at this five o'clock service um, eyes to see the glory of Jesus Christ. Help us to hear once again. Give us ears uh, to hear and receive the good news that Jesus is the King who suffered on our behalf. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Now, it's Palm Sunday, if you haven't noticed or heard yet. That's the Sunday uh, once a year that we, as Christians, celebrate and uh, take time to remember uh, when Jesus rode in on a donkey into the city of Jerusalem and then right up uh, to the cross and the resurrection. Now, we are considering something rather simple tonight. And I have to be honest, as a Christian, I don't tend to think of uh, Palm Sunday when I tend to think of the cross and the resurrection. I tend to skip over it. But we're considering something rather simple tonight that we've heard in Luke 19. So we're reflecting on this passage where Jesus tells his disciples to go get a donkey, and then he rides in on this donkey into the city. So I'm asking myself, why, Luke, why do you give us time and space to reflect on this passage? Why do you even tell us about this donkey? What's the deal? Now, here's what I think the answer to that question is. Luke wants us, Luke wants us here and now who do not naturally on our own recognize Jesus as the king. He wants us to recognize that Jesus is the king who has come to suffer on our behalf. Jesus is this promised king that we have been waiting for. This is who Jesus is. But what's the deal about the donkey? Well, let's ponder that for just a moment, just a few minutes. Now, confession time. I was a weird kid, uh, and you probably aren't surprised by that. I... I you know, I always uh, dreamed of being a knight in medieval Europe uh, 
or being an archer actually on horseback like Legolas in Lord of the Rings. Um, so I loved, you know, medieval Europe, kings, castles. Um, I'm not sure why, but I know I'm not the only one. Uh, you know, don't act like I'm weird. You kind of want to be in medieval Europe too uh, in this chivalrous time. Um, now, I guess because I loved kings and castles and, uh, you know, all that sort of stuff, one of my favorite cartoons as a kid was The Sword in the Stone. Did you guys see that one, The Sword in the Stone? Um, you know, about Arthur uh, pulling the sword out of the stone. So if you've seen that, you know, uh, at the very beginning of the cartoon, there's a book that looks sort of like this plaque. So, so you have the book open up that's very medieval Europe looking. And a, a, a guy begins to sing a song. I'm not going to sing for you, but I will uh, quote it. So you have the book open up, and this song begins to sing this. A legend is sung of when England was young, and knights were brave and bold. The good king had died, and the one to decide who was rightful heir to the throne. It seemed that the land would be torn by war, or saved by a miracle alone. And that miracle appeared in London town, the sword in the stone. So then the song, the song stops, and you see this, um, this stone with a sword in it, and flowers are around it, and a light is shining down on it. So you have this sword in the stone, and then the guy says this to you. He reads what's on the, on the sword. So he says, And below the hilt... In letters of gold were written these words. Whoso pulleth out this sword of this stone and anvil is rightwise king born of England. Then the narrator tells us that many tried to pull out the sword from this stone and no one could do it. And so it was forgotten because no one could pull out the sword from the stone and the age became dark. And then you see the trees, you know, they're crooked and and dark and mysterious, and you know they're like owls hooting and uh, you know and uh, creepy things lurking around at every corner. So it was a dark place. And I guess I could stop just a moment and uh, say, well, that's a good analogy for us here and now, right? The place we dwell in is a dark place. We are in this this dark forest with evil. Our days are dark. There's sadness, evil, and uh, what we Christians call sin. Look on the news. Or, uh, or maybe if you're like me, you can just look inside here and know that there's darkness. Nothing but darkness in here. But in these dark days, whether we look inside or look outside, we hear the promise coming from the sword. Whoever pulls out the sword is rightwise king born of England. The one who pulls out the, so the sword from the stone, he will be the king, and he will bring peace and victory to our land. Or in our case, as Christians, we hear the promise from the Old Testament, from Zechariah. Much like that sword and the stone, we hear from Zechariah these words in chapter 9, verse 9 through 10. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. 
Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Verse 10 then says this about this one who is coming. He shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea. So my prayer and heart's desire for all of us here at this five o'clock service is that our lives would be marked by exceeding joy at this promise that we have heard. You have heard just now of another who has promised, another outside of you who has promised to come to you to redeem, rescue, and restore. You have heard of the inexhaustible love that this king has for you. He is coming to you. Rejoice! Rejoice! Shout aloud, your king is coming to you. And just like there will be one who will pull the sword out from the stone, Zechariah tells us that there will be one who will come in humility and ride this donkey into the city. A baby donkey of all things. Now back to the sword and the stone for just a moment. Now imagine, again, that we're in this dark forest with owls hooting, scary things lurking around. But all of a sudden, you see Arthur come in. He's the little boy. He's running around. And then all of a sudden, he falls into this house where uh, Merlin the wizard lives. Now, he's an innocent kid, but people made fun of him and called him Wart. No one expected much of this kid. But Merlin knows that he's destined for greatness. He knows he's going somewhere and he's going to do something. And then if you fast forward to the end of the cartoon, what do you see happen? Arthur who no one expected to do anything, no one expected much of, he is the one who pulls the sword from the stone. And you know what this means? It means that he is rightwise king born of England. Arthur is the one we have been waiting for, says the English people. Well, remember Zechariah? He said, Look for the one who will ride the donkey into the city. He is the one who is going to bring salvation to you. Your king is coming to you. And so then when we meet Jesus in Luke, if we look, say, for example, at Luke chapter 9, we meet Jesus and he says to his disciples this, Let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. Then in verse 51, it says, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And then verse 33 of chapter 13, Jesus says, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. So here we have been waiting for this promise, the one who is going to pull the sword out from the stone. We've been longing and waiting for him. And then we meet Jesus, and Jesus says to him, to us, to his disciples, I have set my face to go to Jerusalem. I am going there to die. Now, when we get to Luke chapter 19, it's no mistake that Jesus tells his disciples also, Go get the donkey because I need to ride it into the city. Luke wants us to know that Jesus is the promised king we have been waiting for. 
And he's not just a promised king who's going to ascend to the top of the throne. No, he is the promised king who is going to suffer and die on our behalf. Verse 36, what we just read. They brought the colt or the donkey to Jesus. Throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Remember Arthur? Well, Arthur is the little boy who is able to pull the sword from the stone. And what do you see happen when he pulls the sword from the stone? The people cheer because their king has come to them. And in much the same way, Jesus' disciples cheer for him and say, long live the king. But interestingly enough, there are actually people, just like in Arthur, just like with Arthur, where the people didn't want to believe he was the king. There are people that we read about in Luke who also resist Jesus. They resist Jesus and they resist Arthur. And what's interesting to me is when I reflect on it, that that spirit is just as much in me. The love that our king is showing to us, I resist that. And I think you resist that too, naturally, on your own. That darkness that is in the forest has crept inside of here. It's lurking in our hearts. We don't want this king to rule us. We don't want this love that Jesus will show to us. And because I and you tend to resist this love from our king, Jesus must come to die. He must come to die to take our sin, our rebellion, our death on himself. This king will not go straight to the throne. He is going to ride into the city and go to the cross and die as an innocent man, but an innocent man who takes our resistance, our sin on himself. Sally Lloyd-Jones, she wrote the Jesus Storybook Bible. Really good. She says, This is the king that God had promised David all those years before. But this child was a new kind of king. Though he was the prince of heaven, he had become poor. Though he was the mighty God, he had become a helpless baby. This king hadn't come to be the boss. He had come to be a servant. As Karl Barth said, Jesus is the judged judge in our place. Jesus came not to be served, but he came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The crown that our king wears is a servant's crown. And you know, as I'm sort of reflecting um, off the cuff here, uh, in Christian theology, we talk about the prophet, the priest, and the king. And here together, you sort of see at least two of those. Jesus is our king, the one who is to rule. He is like Arthur, the one we have been waiting for. And yet he is also the priest who will suffer and die on our behalf. But he's also the prophet. He is the final revelation of who God is. The apex of the revelation of the glory of God is seen here 
and most chiefly in the suffering of our King. God's revelation of Himself is seen here in the King who suffers on our behalf. We're about to sing a hymn in just a minute, written by the English hymn writer Isaac Watts. Here are a few of the lines that we'll sing together. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown? The very hard-heartedness and darkness that is in here, that is out there, the sin that is around us, the sin that resists this love that this King has come to show us, Jesus has come to take it on Himself. He is the King who will come to do battle with our sin, with our darkness, with our death, with the death and the darkness that is out there. Jesus has battled that lovelessness by showing unmeasurable love for us. The crown that this king wears is one of death and suffering. And may our posture here and now be like this hymn. My richest gain, my best gain, may I count it loss. May I pour contempt on all my pride. My friends, rejoice and be exceedingly glad, as Zechariah has told us. Rejoice! Your King has come to you. Our King has come and He has stooped low to battle death, sin, and darkness on our behalf. Jesus' love now rules. Jesus now lives to triumph with His love. Amen.